Hello and welcome to Cowboy Jesus, riding the rodeo of religion and life. This is Steve Poos Benson and this is episode 44. I'm titling episode 44, The Beautiful View of Progressives and the Bible. Hey, I've got some fun news. With this episode, I achieve a milestone. I'll have 4,000 downloads of this podcast. Which is, in the grand scheme of things, is really nothing. I mean, some people have quadrupled that in a single episode. But for little old me sitting down in my basement, I'm kind of proud of that. And I want to thank all of you for listening and sharing with others the good news of Cowboy Jesus. And I hope that you're enjoying this podcast enough that you will continue to listen and continue to tell other people about the good news of what's going on at Cowboy Jesus. Okay, today... The Beautiful News of Progressive and the Bible. Today I want to continue the conversation that I've been having the past few episodes about the difference between progressive Christians and evangelical Christians. You know, um, I've been working on this uh, podcast. I've been going over my notes. I'm not sure if I'm going to get this done in 30 minutes or not. Um, You might have to take the dog for an extra long walk or continue cleaning the house a second time. I'm going to do my best to get it into 30 minutes, but I don't know. But let's dive in. You know, the conversation started uh, between the uh, progressives and the evangelicals when I had a conversation with some ex-evangelicals. I hope you're uh, learning that term, ex-evangelicals. They're a group of people who are moving away from the evangelical church and they're looking for something new. Uh, I started talking about progressive Christianity um, with these folks, and they were curious about just exactly what is progressive Christianity and how is it different than evangelicals. You know, and there's a lot of questions about this right now in our religious, spiritual culture. This flight away from the evangelical church is huge as people are tired of their rigid beliefs and their political and social agendas. You know, they're tired with uh, with a with a view of Christianity that is aligned with a political party, you know, in some ways, a, a spiritual tradition or a spirituality should be able to transcend politics, and be identified with both Republicans and Democrats and Independents and everybody in between. But so far, evangelicals are just lined up uh, with the conservative right, and so people have gotten tired of that. And they've also grown tired of the strict religious uh, adherence to doctrines and dogmas and the demand for uh, conformity to all these orthodox standards. And the way they take the Bible and beat the Bible over people's heads, you know, and they want out, they want to leave. And they have, in fact, left the evangelical church and they are searching. And I just want to show you how this is a growing area of conversation, conversation. Now, I've been posting uh, little TikTok videos. The TikToks are one-minute videos, and it's really fascinating, this platform that's taken the world by storm, just to see what everybody is posting on there. Some of it is really silly, stupid stuff, but some of it is really serious. Some people have posted some really uh, uh, beautiful things on TikTok. But anyway, so I've been posting these one-minute videos on the differences between progressive and evangelical and in one uh, video that I posted, I had, get this, 32,000 views of this one video. People 
are searching and asking. You know, I believe Cowboy Jesus, progressives, and Columbine United Church in particular can help facilitate this conversation. And I believe that it's something that we are literally called to do as progressive Christians. I believe that Columbine United Church is called to do it. And I know that I am called to do it. When I start uh, getting into conversations with ex-evangelicals, something happens deep inside of me. I think it was because of my own ex-evangelical journey back in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, away from the evangelical church and discovering progressive Christianity and how that has made such a huge difference in my life that I want to reach out to these people and talk with them about where they are in their faith journey and that actually progressive Christianity, if it doesn't have outright answers for them, at least are breadcrumbs along the journey, the trail of faith that they can follow. So uh, today, or for the past several weeks, you know, I've been talking about sacred cows that divide the two religious groups. And today I want to talk about the Bible and how the Bible informs our faith. You know, I've been, uh, if you'll recall, I've been using a blog, po- blog post by uh, Joel Michael Herbert, where he talks about, the is, it's uh, titled, The Widening Gap Between Evangelicals and Progressives. And he says that there are four main areas of differences. He calls them sacred cows. The first is gay and transgender inclusion. We covered that in a previous episode. Another is the nature of hell and who goes there. That was last week. The nature of penal substitution or did Jesus die for my sins? I've covered that in two previous podcasts. And today I want to get into the last sacred cow. And I'm beginning to believe there are so many sacred cows between progressives and evangelicals. Just I could go on and on and on talking But today I want to talk about the inerrancy of Scripture and what is that and what does it mean? Because progressives and evangelicals have two very different understandings of Scripture and its inerrancy. So evangelicals believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. What does that mean? Let's parse it out. Inerrancy means, inerrancy, I-N-E-R-R-A-N-C-Y. Inerrancy means without error. When they say the inerrancy of Scripture, what they're saying about the Bible is that what it is that we have sitting in our hands when you hold the Bible, or if it's sitting on your desk, is without error. It is without error. Everything in there is true, literally true. And this belief is held throughout the evangelical world, um, all the way down to the most conservative fundamental churches is something that really binds together the theological right, and that is the inerrancy of the Bible. And there's a few things they believe when they say the Bible is without error. What it means is that the authors of the Bible were uniquely inspired. By this we mean that God was dictating to the authors exactly what God wanted written down. The authors of the Bible were taking divine dictation. What we have, then, is the unique and authoritative witness to who God is, what God believes, and an accurate historical and historic account of world history. Evangelicals don't question the nature of the Bible, the authors of the Bible, or the interpretation of the Bible. 
For many of them, there doesn't need to be interpretation because it is spoken in plain English and in some cases or plain Greek and Hebrew in other cases. The Bible is taken literally. I'll never forget one time I visited a family who was going to visit Columbine United Church and they were thinking about uh, joining and go visit them. And I walked into their living room and stitched in a big frame above their couch was this phrase, God said it, I believe it, that's it. I gently told them that Columbine and me would not be a good fit. But their stitching above the couch uh, makes the point. Evangelicals believe that God spoke once and for all in the Old and New Testaments and with the New Testament holding sway. They believe it exactly how it's printed, and that's it. That's the final say-so. They're not going to question or doubt or interpret the words. If the Bible says the world was created in seven days, then that's what really happened. If Noah built an ark and all the animals of the world were on it, then that's what happened. If Jesus walked on water and stilled a storm, then that literally happened. You know, for them, the Bible, the earth is about 5,000 years old. There's no such things as dinosaurs. In fact, I uh, one time heard someone say that dinosaur bones are the fool's work of man and that God was testing human beings by planting those dinosaur bones to see if we would believe in the Bible or in the errors of man. And I thought to myself, every time I hear that, I just kind of shake my head. I'm shaking my head right now going, oh my gosh, are you... Are you kidding me? I'll just I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. You know, evangelicals build their faith around the book of the Bible. It is a holy book into and of itself. You know, they might not like this comparison, but it's the exact way that uh, Muslims take the Quran. Muslims believe the angel Gabriel came down and great gave direct dictation to Muhammad. Muhammad was merely the human vessel that took the words of Gabriel and his secretary work, uh, wrote the words down. Therefore, the Quran is holy because it was divinely revealed from Gabriel to Muhammad to Muhammad's secretary, a direct revelation. That's why the Quran is holy in and of itself. That's what they believe. It's sitting on the desk. The book is holy. And, you know, they might not like the analogy, but evangelicals believe the same thing. The books of the Bible were divinely dictated to the authors. Therefore, the Bible is holy all by itself. They don't interpret it. You just need to read it and follow it. And in short, this is evangelical view. Now, I'm going to unpack this a little bit further later on in the podcast. This, uh, I'm kind of going to go over, repeat a few things, because I want to make sure that you understand what is going on and the differences between uh, evangelicals and progressives on this because you know it really is a sacred cow uh, that progressives are willing to split and sacrifice that that sacred cow and for evangelicals they're just not going to do it they're going to hold on to the sacred cow of biblical inerrancies you know progressives we do not take the bible literally but seriously People of 
Columbine United Church and to people who've read my blog, Cowboy Jesus. I've even said it several times in this podcast. If you've read my books, if you read my book, The Jesus Path, you heard me say it repeatedly in there. We do not take the Bible literally. We take it seriously. It goes all the way back to the theologian Karl Barth who said, I take the Bible far too seriously. Excuse me. <clears throat> take the Bible far too seriously to take it literally. You know, and this is where progressives and evangelicals part. And let's look at this. Let me parse this out. Why do progressives take the Bible seriously and not literally? This is a good question. Let's dive into this. Why do progressives part with evangelicals and why do we take it seriously? And not literally. Okay. It starts for me as a progressive. And I consider myself a progressive Christian. It starts with academics. Progressive Christians believe in academics. The Bible is so important to us that we're going to use every school of academics to help us interpret the Bible. We're going to use all of the advanced criticisms, form criticisms, social... Form, God, it's my mouth. Form criticism, social criticism, historical criticism, and literary criticism. Criticism. You know, when I was in seminary, for both my master's and my doctorate, I was trained in these uh, these forms of criticism, and we're going to use them. And we're going to use them as we study and uh, and interpret the Bible. We're going to use science, physics, chemistry, and astronomy to interpret the Bible. Nothing is going to be held back. If the Bible is going to be applicable for our lives, then it needs to incorporate all of the great learnings of these schools. Hence, we believe in scholarship. But I'm not saying that we're snobby in our scholarship, because a lot of the evangelicals also go to school, they go to seminary, they have doctorates. Um, and so they also believe in scholarship, but they don't believe in the criticisms that we believe in. Criticisms, I mean, by school of thoughts that we apply to the Bible. And when progressives, when I say, when I teach uh, my classes on the Bible, or when I uh, preach a sermon and I, and I say, quote unquote, you know, scholars teach us, you know, what I'm referring to, what progressives are referring to, is the women and men who have dedicated themselves to their fields of study and have applied it to the Bible. We believe in scholarship. Some on the evangelical side have told me, well, you're butchering the Bible, that you're destroying the authority of the Bible. And I say, no, not at all. I think we're bringing uh, life to it. Here are a few things that scholars uh, bring us that speak to the reason why we progressives don't believe the Bible is inerrant, uh, without error. So, okay, catch this. There are approximately 25,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament that are considered the best that we have. 25,000 Greek manuscripts. Between them, there are more variants than there are words in the New Testament. Let me say that again. Between these 25,000 manuscripts, there are more variants than there are words in the New Testament. If we want to say the Bible is without error... Then what about all the thousands of places where these manuscripts don't agree? You know, over the years of handwritten translations, scribes have taken these Greek manuscripts, they've added sentences, words, 
whole chapters of the New Testament. You know, for me, the best example of this is the final chapter of Mark, Mark 16, which was written by a scribe several hundred years later after the first century. And it was inserted and was later copied down by other scribes until it became incorporated into the accepted translation. You know, chapter 16, go read it, Mark 16. It's a crazy chapter meant to harmonize Mark with the other Gospels. I mean, there's drinking poison, there's handling snakes, there's raising from the dead, all kinds of crazy stuff. It's not accurate. It's not holy. It is full of errors. It needs to be understood in its context. The Bible is filled with such examples. And I know, um, you know, some people say, I've heard evangelicals say, well, are we just going to trust the process that the Bible as it was handed down to all these different Greek manuscripts to where we are with the English version, that, you know, that God's spirit was in the in the uh, process, in the hands of those, and the guided it, and we just have what we have right now because of it. I want to say no. That's that's hocus pocus. God does not work that way. Human beings are working with the manuscripts, and there are all different kinds of variances between this. Because of advanced study, we know the historical dating of when the Gospels were written and when the letters of the New Testament were written. We knew that the letters of Paul and the other letters came before the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written in this the last quarter of the century, beginning with 75 with the Gospel of Mark, and then uh, Matthew and Luke in the 70s and 80s, and John near the uh, mid-90s to the end of the first century. We know that because of this, we know it had been patently impossible for the first-hand eyewitnesses of Jesus to actually write down the stories and teachings of Jesus. We know that there wasn't a man named Matthew who was a tax collector that followed Jesus who wrote down everything he said. Nor was there Mark, a disciple of Jesus, who did the same thing. Luke might have been a physician, but that's not the name of the guy who wrote it. But Luke did not know Jesus. And John was way out in left, left field, radically different from the other three Gospels. But we know that many of the New Testament Gospels and letters are not actually written by the authors that are attributed to them. You know, instead, the books, especially the Gospels, are drawn from songs and stories and myths and legends and liturgies and letters. All of this had developed in the 40 to 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. We call this unwritten source that the Gospels uh, drew upon, we call it the Q source. A Q source is uh, something I'm not going to get uh, too in depth in here. You can Google that, read about it on Wikipedia. There are several good books, uh, tons of good books about the Q source and how it developed and how it was used by the Gospel writers. What's interesting is that we don't believe the Apostle Paul had the Q source, or if he did have the Q source, he didn't make use of it in the same way that the Gospels had it. Okay, this is why progressive people, and I'm there, we're not worried when the Gospels tell different stories about Jesus. We don't worry why Matthew is the only Gospel with a sermon on the Mount. We don't worry when Mark doesn't tell a story of the birth of Jesus. We don't worry when John and Mark have Judas, when John, in John and Mark, Judas doesn't kill himself. Did you ever know this? 
Everyone you think of Judas, you think of, well, Judas hung himself after Jesus' uh, death. That's not the case. In Mark's gospel and John's gospel, uh, Judas is alive. Um, and then in Matthew, he hangs himself, but in Luke, he swells up and falls in a field dead. I mean, each of the four gospels have a different account. You know, <laughs> progressives were not worried about that kind of stuff because each of them are telling a different story for a different worry. We don't worry about those things because we don't take them literally. I mean, we don't worry about the fact that there are two creation stories. We don't worry about, in one section, the Noah's Ark, the animals come on two by two, another time they came in by seven. We're not worried when the Noah story of Noah's Ark is uh, based upon the Gilgamesh epic that preceded Noah's Ark by several hundred years, the story of Noah's Ark. You know, we're not worried between all the differences and derivations and the cyclical nature of the Hebrew Bible because we know that these authors were writing in different times and they kept on cutting and pasting and taking different sections of earlier stories and incorporating them into their stories. We study these things. We understand these things. Then we interpret them into our own life. You know, to the Gospels, we allow the space for the authors to write a novella. That's what the Gospels all, a novella. We allow Paul and the other uh, disciples to write letters that arise from their own communities. These communities had different issues. The authors had different perspectives. You know, this is why, for me, I believe the two most important words that we have in the Gospels are the words according to, in the title, according to. The Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel according to Mark. The Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel according to John. According to. They had different views. They mean different things. We need to allow them their differences. That's what progressives do. We allow them to be different. We don't try to harmonize them. We don't try to twist them around to make them say the, the same things. We don't. We allow them to be according to them, to have their own view. You know, progressives, we apply science to the Bible. Progressives, we don't believe the world was created in seven days. Uh, we just don't. There's <laughs> Science says carbon dating, says otherwise. You know, we're not worried about the seemingly differences between the Bible and science. The Bible is not a science textbook. It is not a textbook. It is not a history book. It was never meant to be that way. We're not to read it that way. Science has so many truths that we need to tell us that doesn't contradict the Bible because there are two different things. We're not upset when science tells us it's patently impossible for Jesus to still a storm or raise the dead. We're not upset because these we take these stories and we interpret them. We're not going to take them literally. Science is a great gift to progressive Christians. You know, we believe in Darwin and evolution and, and as I said, dinosaurs. <laughs> Gosh. We believe in dinosaurs and epochs of time. And we believe that the world was created over a span of millions of years. Progressives, we don't check our brains at the door when we open the Bible. So look, I've got another important question. Let me kind of shift gears a little bit. Let me ask you a question. Why didn't Jesus write 
a book. If his teachings were so important, why didn't he write them down word for word? Why didn't he do that? Well, I know our evangelical brothers would say, He did the Gospels! Well, no. We know that the the Gospel writers were writing way after Jesus died and the first eyewitnesses died. Uh, we believe that that's not what's going on in the Gospel, but it makes a point. If Jesus wrote down his teachings in plain and simple terms, people would have revered the book that he had written. They would have held on to it. They would have handed it down from generation to generation after Jesus died, was resurrected, and ascended into heaven. His book would have been doubly sacred and holy. It would be the Jesus book. It would have been Jesus' words exactly. And the people who would have held on to the Jesus book would have missed the point of Jesus' entire message and teachings. Listen to this. Jesus said in John 5.39, You search the scriptures thinking that you have life in them, but it is they that testify to me. In other words, Jesus doesn't want us to have a book where we're searching through the book thinking that we have life in the book. What, that's what our evangelical brothers and sisters do. They have a book and they search through the scriptures thinking that they have life in them. But as Jesus said, it is they that testify to me. In other words, how I interpret this is Jesus wants us to have a relationship with him that is living and dynamic. Hence, as progressives, we're not people of the book. We're people of a relationship. We desire to have a relationship with God through Christ. The relationship is not found by memorizing Bible verses or quoting scripture or pounding the Bible over people's heads, hearts, and souls. No, what we use the Bible for is that it points us to God. The Bible is a pointer. It points to God. It's not an end to itself. At some place, progressives believe you put the Bible down and you pick up the relationship with Christ and you pick up a relationship with God. You know, when talking with people about the differences between progressives and evangelicals, oh, wait, wait, wait. I've got to back up here a little bit. I think I'm getting too into myself. Got to back into my notes. Okay. Now, that's a lot that I've covered so far. And now I want to go back and I want to kind of review these things because that was kind of my first book, getting it all out. But I want to go back and I want to kind of review this. And I want to talk kind of point by point the differences between progressives and evangelicals. Uh, so, so it's kind of in your brain. I've been kind of wandering all over the place. But for me, and I wrote this down in my book, The Jesus Path, because I believe the Bible is one of the eight paths that we follow if we're going to leave the Christian life. Uh, the Jesus Path. Okay. I believe we need to talk about inspiration, interpretation, application, and authority. We need to talk about inspiration, interpretation, application, and authority. Can let me say a few things about these. Inspiration. Okay, I already covered this. But let me just say that evangelicals believe the Bible authors of the Bible were uniquely inspired by God. I already said that. They were taking divine dictation. Progressives believe 
the authors of the Bible were inspired, but not uniquely inspired. Their inspiration is no different than Michelangelo's David Handel's Messiah Bono and U2, or even little old me making a podcast. I was inspired to write and publish and put together this podcast, and I believe I was inspired by God to write my books in the same way that the gospel writers were inspired to write their books, and Paul was inspired to write his letters. Inspiration is something that God gives to every single human being, every single creative person. We are all inspired. Okay, as I said, evangelicals evangelicals believe the Bible doesn't need to be interpreted, just be read and accepted. And progressives believe that every page turned the Bible needs to be interpreted. Now let's go to application. I don't think I've covered application in all this. So we have inspiration. We have uh, application. We have inspiration, interpretation, now application. Evangelicals believe that you apply the Bible directly to your life. God said, I'm going to, God said it, I'm going to act on it. Examples. If God said women can't speak in church in the Bible, then that's the end of it. Women will not speak in church or hold leadership positions in the church where they rule over men. Women can't be ordained as ministers and they can't sit on governing boards. You know, this is a, here's a little Columbine United Church, this, uh, this church in a white burb surrounded by uh, conservative churches where women do not serve on governing boards. And we have women leading the church all over the place. Our current president of our church is a woman. We believe <laughs> it's just craziness that they don't allow women to serve on leadership positions in the in the church. Oh gosh. Okay. If God said in the Bible that gay people are an abomination, then that's the end of the conversation. Any GLBTQI person is an abomination to God and therefore to us. Who they are, their identities, their beings, their relationships are aberrant aberrant rather, and can't be accepted. You know, progressives believe, on the other hand, that we apply the Bible in significant ways in our own lives. Through our interpretation, we can accept that some passages are historically locked and have no relevance for our contemporary lives. The Bible says, talks about slavery and and the importance of slavery. We don't believe in slavery. We don't accept what the writers say about the role of women. And we don't believe with that the Bible purportedly, because it's not really what the Bible's saying when it condemns uh, GLBTQI people. Oh, i got to get my mouth in gear today. But we, we say that those teachings of the Bible are historically locked. Progressives apply the teachings of the Bible in ways that make sense to our contemporary lives in light of current cultural movements and academic understanding. We understand that many places of the Bible, I said, are historically locked. They were a product of their, of their times. And we don't apply these passages at all to our lives. Progressives take the intention of a scriptural, scriptural passage and we run it through our academic teachings. From the Sermon on the Mount, we have reverence to our current culture, and we apply them to our lives. Jesus' teachings on the two great, great commandments have a long significance, and we apply them to our life. 
But let me make, uh, get to a major sacred cow that I might deal with in a later podcast. Progressives have the permission to interpret the Bible when it comes to the resurrection. I have all the permission in the world to say that Jesus did not bodily rise from the dead, but the disciples had a spiritual awakening after Jesus' death. I don't believe Jesus ascended into heaven like a divine rocket 50 days after, uh, 50 days, or how many days was it after Jesus rose from the dead? I don't believe in the ascension. I'm going to understand these stories as metaphors and apply them to my life, to my own spiritual awakenings, after I run these passages through my academic lens. Again, progressives, we don't check our brains at the door when applying the Bible to our lives. We give ourselves the permission to think, to study, to read what scholars are telling us, and then choose which passages to apply to our lives. And we we allow a lot of room for differences. We allow progressives, allow people to disagree with one another. My uh, good colleague, Jill Vanderwall, talking about the resurrection, she believes in a bodily resurrection. She has really good reasons why she believes in the bodily resurrection. And if you know Jill, she's as progressive as I am. And so we say, cool, we learn from each other's interpretation of the Bible. We take it differently. We might uh, apply it differently, but we honor each other's perspective. We don't go out of our way to say one person is wrong and the other person has to be right. Authority. Authority. Evangelicals believe the Bible is authoritative into and of itself. Sitting there on the shelf or on your desk, the book is holy and sacred. One time when working with a group of teenagers, I was trying to make this point. I picked up the Bible and I tore it apart. (laughs) I mean, I ripped it apart right in front of them. Their mouths just dropped open. They thought I was going to be struck by lightning. You know, but... After they got over the shock, he gave us the entree or gave me the entree to talk with them about these topics, especially whether the book was a, was sacred unto itself. Progressives believe that the Bible is authoritative in ways that we choose in our life. Each person is on a journey, and we're going to have the Bible be authoritative in the ways that make sense to our lives. Evangelicals would say, no, we are destroying the Bible. I say, no, it's breathing life into it. You know, on the spine of the Bible, it says, the Holy Bible. Okay, is it holy? Just like I said, the the Muslims take the Quran. I say, no. In and of itself, a book sitting on my desk, I don't believe the Bible is holy. Ooh, heresy. What is holy is the conversation that the Bible creates when people pick it up, start reading, and asking questions. That's what whole is. That's what's holy. The conversation, the dialogue that the Bible starts. Well, you know, so some people take, hear what I'm saying here and they say, if the Bible is not holy in and of itself, well, then why the Bible? Does the Bible even matter? You know, progressives, we believe deeply that the Bible matters. You know, I love the Bible. For me, the Bible vibrates with meaning. I love the Bible. I read the Bible every day. I know the history. I know the culture. I know the issues that the people were wrestling with. 
I'm moved by how the people were wrestling with God. I'm moved by the way that Jesus was wrestling with the people to bring his teachings to uh, to the service. I am moved by the way the gospel writers were trying to grab a hold of the essence of Jesus' life. Because of this, I believe, progressives believe, that in just the same way that God spoke in the past, we believe God is still speaking. That's the tagline of the United Church of Christ. And for me, it really says it all. The God is still speaking. That's what makes the Bible so relevant. We read the Bible, the history in which it was spawned from, and we see how people engage their relationship with Jesus and with God. What, the, what this gives us is the radical permission to do the same with our lives right now. In the same way that God spoke in the past, we can ha- approach our lives with the radical belief that God is speaking to us now. God is speaking to us now in as much authority and creativity as God spoke in the Bible. You know, what I believe is you hold the Bible in one hand and you look at YouTube on the other. We hold the Bible in one hand, and on the other hand, we look at our Instagram feed. We hold the Bible in one hand, and we read our Twitter feeds. We read the Bible, and we listen to podcasts. We read the Bible, and we read other books. We read the Bible, and we talk with people of like minds. God spoke, and God speaks now. I look at movies, art, theater, literature, poetry, social media... I really believe God speaks through social media because I believe God is speaking through them. The Bible spoke in the past. People wrestled with with what God was saying to them in the past. Some of those passages are historically locked. Some of them are directly relevant to us now. But we understand, whether they're locked or not, that they were wrestling with what it means to be in a relationship with God. Because of that, we have the permission to wrestle with being in a relationship with God now and to try to search out where God is speaking to us now. You know, if evangelicals were listening to this podcast, they would groan and call me some type of heretic. You know, what I always say is one person's heresy is another person's holiness The Bible is holy to me because I have a relationship with God through Christ. The Bible speaks to this relationship and informs it, but the Bible does not have the final say. That's a key thing. The Bible does not have the final say. The Bible speaks, the Bible forms and informs, but it does not have the final say. Ultimately, progressives believe truth is discovered when we allow the dynamic of the Bible of the past to engage the current world. That's where truth is. Truth is where the Bible of the past engages the current world in this tension and the conversation that ensues out of this tension. The Bible in the past and our current world Spiritual truth will emerge. Spiritual truth is sometimes hard to discern. It always takes a dialogue. It always takes study. You need to have Bible dictionaries. My shelves are full of Bible commentaries and Bible dictionaries. 
You read, you study, you argue, you try to understand, you engage in dialogue, you talk with others, you approach the Bible with a great deal of humility in your search for truth. You know, evangelicals will argue for universal truths. I would agree. There are a few universal truths. I would say that God is love is one of the core universal truths. I bet you we could everybody agree with that. From this universal truth of love, though, the conversation begins. From that universal truth, when I say God is love, the conversation begins. You know, what is, what's important for me is for you to realize that evangelicals do not own the corner on the market of truth when it comes to the Bible. They want to. They want to think they do. And they want to claim that they are Christian and they are the only good Christians, the only real Christians. And I want to disagree. The next time an evangelical tries to limit your thinking by banging your soul with the Bible, I want you to remember Cowboy Jesus. I want you to remember this podcast. I want you to remember God is still st- <laughs> that God is still speaking, and you get to have the ears to hear God speak to you. All right, forty-one minutes. Holy cow! I knew I was going to go over the thirty. But thanks for listening to this podcast. You know, again, I'm active on all the different social media platforms. And I would hope that you would open up a Twitter account, open up a social media platform, open up an Instagram. You know, uh, like my page, Dr. Sipus Benson on Facebook. I try to post all different kinds of things that I don't post on my personal Facebook page. I try to keep the separation there. But I th- a lot of academics, a lot of blogs, a lot of quotes go on my Facebook page. You can visit my website, uh, stephenpoosbenson.com, to find out about my books and what's going on with my books. You can read uh, my blog, Cowboy Jesus. You can follow me on Twitter, at Spoos Benson. I'm on Instagram and TikTok. And thank you for the 4,000 downloads. I love that. I appreciate each and every one of you. Blessings and namaste.